auditioning with a reader and a camera is very, very difficult. And you're either practiced at that or you're not. That is Gunnar Todd Rohrbacher. And I'm Lee Foster. You're listening to Action, a podcast dedicated to the pursuit of acting excellence. Gunnar is widely known as LA's go-to sitcom coach and is the founder of Actors Comedy Studio, the world's only acting school dedicated solely to acting for sitcoms and sitcom audition technique. I hope you enjoy. Why don't you start by just giving an overall definition of what you teach and and how it's different from other sorts of auditions, other sorts of uh, jobs, on-camera jobs. Fantastic. Yes. Great. Let's start there. Um, let's start with this. Good acting is simply honest acting. And that is my starting point. So even though Actors Comedy Studio focuses on um, strengthening uh, the skills for actors for scripted comedy, uh, we're different in a couple of ways. First of all, there are a lot of improv and sketch venues in Los Angeles, which are great. And it's also where I started um, many years ago, about 25 years ago myself. So I'm an experienced improviser and sketch artist myself, but I've also worked in casting. So, uh, and I'm also a writer. So that kind of gave me a couple of additional uh, points of perspective uh, when it came to really work, uh, working in front of the camera and auditioning well and booking work via the audition process. So that's really kind of the baseline for Actors Comedy Studio. So we're different from drama studios or even other uh, on-camera studios that do comedy and drama together because I am a comedian and all we do is scripted comedy here. And then we're obviously different from the improv and sketch venues uh, because they're working something they're working different muscles. They're working, you know, improv is uh, for, uh, you know, theater and um, uh, small stage. So when I worked in casting, I noticed that a lot of people who preferred to work in comedy didn't have strong technical skills. So it's about uh, proper script analysis for comedy in emboldening and strengthening actor skills for when they have to work with a script and they have to go in and audition because auditioning is really its own genre of acting and mm-hmm. it takes practice uh, yeah, at the uh, audition technique setup, the audition setup with a camera and a reader to become great at it. So that was kind of a lot at once. Do you want to break any of that down? Um, no, that's good. That's a good starting place. Um, you said that a lot of the people who want to get into comedic style acting, they often don't have a lot of uh, technical skills. So I'm assuming they're they're coming from an improv, like a like an improv or a stand-up comedy background, and they haven't taken a lot of commercial classes or scene study classes and stuff like that. Yes, it, it's that, and also you know, Los Angeles is such a truly global city at this point. So I teach people from a stand-up or an improv sketch background. There's also a lot of actors who worked in front of the camera dramatically, but maybe they just never had a lot of practice or a strong background with comedy. So, you know, they're trying to develop that muscle a little stronger. And then I also just teach people from all over the world. 
really. And then in that instance, what I'm able to help people with is just uh, the American sensibility of comedy. Because if you are, you know, you know, comedy has a different tone and different and a different feel and flavor uh, in different countries. What is the American flavor of comedy? How would you describe that? Well, American comedy uh, and sitcoms in particular are can trace their roots directly back to vaudeville. So uh, American comedy uh, to this day uh, still is very vaudevillian. Um, it's jokes embedded in dialogue, right? And it goes all the way back to uh, you know Jewish American Catskills. Take my wife, please. <laughs> right. Exactly. Uh, you know, and it also has a particularly musical nature that I don't necessarily know uh, that comedy in other parts of the world has. This is very interesting. Um, so if you were to take, I'm sure you've seen tons of students come in through the Actors Comedy Studio over the years. Um, what sort of background does, does a person have when they come in and you just go, oh, this person like, has a lot of promise? Uh, <laughs> or is it all over the map? It's really all over the map because here's here's how I'll answer that because I think there will maybe be a, a lot of information uh, with this perspective in mind. If you just go to a traditional uh, theater program at a college anywhere in the country, right? They're still largely theater programs, yeah. Meaning they're they're teaching you acting skills and and things that you'll need and that will be necessary and that will help you if you become a career actor. But make no mistake. The universities, um, their curriculum has not evolved as fast as the rest of the world has evolved. And they're still teaching acting that's very much still rooted in theater. So, uh, you know, they're doing what they can to change and catch up. I'm not uh, disparaging them at all. But a lot of theater departments still don't teach any technical skills or bring in any on camera at work at all. Isn't that crazy? It's crazy (laughs) it's so it's so behind i don't understand it so behind so even if you were to have you know a theater degree in acting from a major university once you come to los angeles this is you know we have actually a lot of good very good small theater here in los angeles by the way Mm -hmm. but it's also really the land of booking work on camera for tv and film by and large you know that's largely what we're known for so even if you have a, a university degree, in other words, you're going to really need to, once you get to Los Angeles, go to somebody's on-camera audition technique class, whether it's mine or someone else's, because no one simply teaches you how to audition well. Yeah. One question I have is, have you noticed a big change in the style of sitcoms over the past five or ten years? Yeah. There has Huge been difference. a big one, right? Yeah. Huge difference. How would you um, describe it? Well, I think ugh, in a couple of ways. So we're seeing a lot of just real different personalities come through in comedies, just personal tone and, and style coming through that we haven't seen, which is exciting to me. And there are also comedies popping up in places that there have never been comedies before, which is very exciting. So like, say, some cable networks like USA, FX, TNT, uh, these cable networks that have been around for a very long time, 20, 25 mm-hmm. years, 30 years, some of them, they were uh, back further offering maybe only syndicated program or reruns of movies. Then they started to get known for their hour-long originals, 
but now they're making sitcoms too. Hulu's making original sitcoms. Amazon is making original sitcoms. Netflix is making original sitcoms. And some of them are even starting to make multi-camera sitcoms, which Mm -hmm. that was something that belonged to traditional networks. You know, that's what they were built on, NBC, CBS, uh, ABC, on uh, comedies where you could hear the audience laughing. Mm -hmm. And then a large variety of single-camera comedies where you didn't hear the uh, audience laughing. But uh, now even Amazon and Netflix uh, are investing in sitcoms being shot live in front of a studio audience. So that's been a huge difference. And then the last thing I'll say to answer that question is the archetypes, the comedic archetypes that writers would build a show around, that writers build a show around, used to be back in the day like a traditional family unit or a group of friends or coworkers. So you'd have like an anchor, a dreamer, or a neurotic, an archetype that was very relatable to design as the hero and mm-hmm. send on a journey, right? So just mm-hmm. some basic writing 101 stuff there. So they're still structuring the shows the same way in a lot of cases, but they're bringing in other archetypal characters that used to just hang out in the ensemble, like a buffoon or a narcissist or a very vain, shallow person. They're the leads now in almost all of these shows. So there's been a kind of upside down paradigm that's been created Literally, and I've done, I've thought a lot about this because I teach specifically sitcom acting and I'm watching these shows and I'm going, the lead in all of these shows, this show is built around a narcissist, someone very shallow, someone very self-involved. And I don't know how deep you want to go, but I think art mirrors society. So it kind of says something about who we are as a country right now. Huh. That's really interesting. I've noticed that in uh, a lot of the dramas that I see, um, a lot of the main characters are not very morally sound. Like, for instance, it's drama, so there's always going to be dramatic elements, but it seems like in, the main characters in these dramas that I'm seeing now, the originals that are on Amazon or on Netflix or, or uh, Hulu, everyone is cheating on everyone else. And it doesn't seem like it's not even really raised as an issue. It's sort of raised, it's sort of, presented as a norm. Have you noticed that? I have, and we couldn't be more on the same page. I feel like you just uh, tossed through the dramatic parallel of what I'm talking about with comedy. Right. Yeah, so whereas the, the, the people, the leads on the the uh, dramas where you're like, well, that, that's just always going to be the safe person. Stuff is going to change and go in flux depending on the story, but that'll always be the person you can't, can count on. And now mm-hmm. you can't count on, on that person. Same with comedy. You'd always have wacky characters, but they'd be in the chorus or the ensemble and they'd build the show around, you know, a, a strong, certain person who was like an anchor and that's been flipped upside down. Right. Like the Jerry Seinfeld. Right. Jerry Seinfeld keeping his crew in order or like on Will and Grace, you know, Will right. was kind of the pillar for that group. You know, the friends kind of took turns being pillars for each other, but, you know, Lisa Kudrow was eccentric, but otherwise they were all, they were just people going through their 20s and they were all pretty normal. But now you have things like the shows that are currently on, like Veep has gotten a lot of attention and I love it. It's one of my favorite shows, but Julia Louis-Dreyfus is the opposite of a pillar. She's a complete buffoon and a narcissist. 
Right. Um, if you look at the, even a family comedy like The Goldbergs, which I love. Wendy McClendon Covey is a terrific actress. She's getting all kinds of work. But Beverly Goldberg is a narcissist. She's not a warm, nurturing mother. She is in her way. But she makes everything about herself. Right. She's like an anti-Roseanne, you know, for using that as an example for a, a current sitcom. Even if you look at the Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Andy Samberg, I love. He's a very funny guy. And it seems like, at a, if you just glance at that show, it seems like he's playing kind of like a, you know, down-the-line, every-guy-dreamer type of guy. He's a complete narcissist. It's like he's standing in the middle of that, uh, you know, of the uh, precinct, and everything has to be about him all the time. The Mindy Project. I love Mindy Kaling. She talks about what a narcissist she is all the time. Yeah. Like it's in, in her dialogue, if you listen to her talk about herself, she says if every she'll splat out say if everything's not about me, I'm not happy. Right. Or uh the lead in girls. I don't know if you'd call girls a sitcom. I mean I guess it's a sitcom. It's a it's a half hour comedy. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's people have a hard time shifting that word because it is hard to say sitcom, but technically it is. If it comes in at twenty two minutes and it's designed to make you laugh more right. than cry. Yeah, it's a com. It's a comedy, at least if not a sitcom. But you're absolutely right. Lena Dunham is the biggest narcissist of all time. <laughs> so you know, this has gone so far that I've actually looked at at least among the networks, the shows that have stayed on the air that have come out over the last four or five years. It's very close to 100 percent, if not 100 percent of them, all have narcissists as leads. Huh. Like li- literally everything that has come out and stuck in the last five years. So have I seen that things have changed? Absolutely. And I teach to it in my school, which is, I think, something that is very different because things are changing rapidly. And aside from the comedic aspect, and I know this is a little pluggy, but I'm proud of it. I work really hard to pay attention to what's going on in the current landscape. And I've started channeling this material to my students so they would they can keep up with what's in the current marketplace. So as a as a writer, uh, when you think about these sitcoms that have, that are staying on the air and that are popular with these narcissistic main characters, uh, are they written to be narcissists, or is that more is that pushed by the way by the actor or actress that they choose? You understand what I mean? Yeah, no, that's a great question. It's in the writing. It has to be because you right. can't just come in as an over as an actor and overlay it, even if uh, you know, there absolutely is a collaboration. Right. It wouldn't work if it wasn't there in the writing first. So, and the other thing that has shifted then, as from a writer's perspective, is you can still break down the other archetypes, there, the other characters into different archetypes. You'll still have a neurotic or a dreamer or a player, you know, someone who's always on the prowl for sex, however you want to say it. But if the main, if the hero or pair of heroes on the show are shallow, that makes everyone else on the show a little bit dumber and shallow too. Mm -hmm. Because it wouldn't make sense to be best friends or husband, wife, or boyfriend and girlfriend with someone who's shallow if you were completely stable and evolved and grounded and worked out. Right. So I'll go back to Veep as an example. They all have to be a pack of idiots because if they're going to follow her around as an idiot, they all have to be idiots to some degree. So literally every character on TV in the last five years 
it's not that they're stupid. I wouldn't call them that. I would say they're less substantial and more shallow. It has really tripped people up because aside from teaching group classes, I coach people on auditions and I've had working well-known name working actors come in for an audition and say, I don't get this sitcom at all. And I go, oh, that's because you've always played an anchor and this person is a narcissist. They're asking you to play something you've maybe never actually really worked on for yourself because it wasn't in the marketplace before. And so what do you, how do you coach somebody like that? It just starts with awareness. Right. It, it's tripping people up. So once yeah. you just say it's a lead character and, you know, not everybody watches the same amount of TV. So even if you're an experienced actor or a working actor, it doesn't mean you're necessarily watching this product in the marketplace and examining it and breaking it apart. Uh-huh. I make that my job since I have a school. So if it's an actor worth their salt, they can pivot with the adjustment. It's just, it actually has been very jarring over the last few years. A lot of people have been getting sides. And, you know, if you're auditioning for a lead, that can be 12 or 15 pages of sides you've got to go in with and turn it around overnight or in just a couple of days. And they're going, I don't know why it's funny. I don't get it. And it's because you have to examine really a whole new point of view to understand why it's funny. Because it's not that it's bad writing or that it's not funny. It is funny. But you have to understand a very insubstantial character's point of view saying the words for it to make sense. Wow, that makes so much sense. I'm thinking back to an audition that I had for a film not long ago that was so, it fits so well into what you're telling me right now. And the whole time I was thinking like, this guy is not likable. He's a dick. Yep. And I was, and I didn't, it was, I I remember reading it and just thinking like, God, this guy, people, he's sort of charming, but at the same time, he's just a narcissistic asshole. Yep. Wow. So that's what I help people polish. And since I've been, this isn't news to me, so I can make quick work of it when an actor comes in and I, they don't get it. We just have a conversation similar to what we're having right now. And I go, okay, then I can give you notes to help round this out and make it highlight the charm. You said a very good word. You have to pull out and highlight the charm and the likability factor and the fact that they're not aware of what they're doing. You're off to the races. Yeah. So you still have to play the charm and you have yeah. to play the belief. You have to be believable, but you can't, you yeah. have to, you, you as a character cannot be aware of the fact that you're an asshole. They're witless. Right. They're not dumb because that's a different thing that takes actors in a different direction. They're witless and they're not self-aware. Right. Because if you take it, if you make them aware, then the words read mean. If if uh, when you take away their awareness and then pick up the pace, <laughs> that those two things alone will make you come across less substantial, and then we start producing comedy from there. Pick up the pace in terms of the the line delivery or just everything? Just literally everything. So actually saying the lines and actually tightening the cues. Because right. time, any time that you allow in the performance, how it reads to the audience is that the character has time to process what's been saying. And if you've got time to process what's saying and then say something kind of shallow or antagonistic or derogatory, then you seem mean. If you take away the time, then it, you take away 
what you would read is their ability to process. So it takes away conniving or ill-intended. They're just shallow and they don't have a filter. And that's funnier. Oh, that makes so much sense. <laughs> oh, this is awesome. I'm thinking again back to that audition I had and I was working with, <laughs> I was working with, and I didn't, I didn't get a call back. Um, I, I was working with this coach and he, I remember him telling me there was a line that was like, I don't remember what it was, but it was something where I'm, uh, I'm trying to charm this this woman who's like a lot smarter and nicer than I am. I'm trying to like charm her into giving me tickets to some game that she has. And I say a line that was like, you look less like shit than normal today. So it was something like that. And yeah. I, I remember pausing before I said it because I had a line before it and then I paused and then I said it. And my coach was like, you sound mean when you pause. And I didn't understand what he meant. Like, I didn't understand, but now it makes perfect sense. Yeah, we've worked really hard here to, like, we really talk about this in class because, you know, when we work, it's not like we spend the whole time talking, but we've had to have some substantial conversations uh, because it's such a huge difference that whole shows are being created and driven by people of no substance. That's pretty new in the scheme of things. And you've got actors who, whatever their training, even if it was improv or sketch, if you've had any kind of good teacher at all or in a theater program, they're teaching you to work to the height of your intelligence and be smart. And you've probably worked with material only where the leads were smart and the ensemble characters were the dingbat. So quite literally, people have not had a lot of time to practice the lead as bidding bat, <laughs> the lead being the ding bat kind right. of era we live in. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it really is putting people off of their footing and people who work in the city all the time, not just people who just, you know, showed up or they're just getting started. People who have been working are like, I don't know what the hell this is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um. So what would you say besides uh, people giving too much, just taking too long with the audition and, and uh, it appearing like they're processing what they're saying uh, too much, um, what other mistakes would you say that, that people generally make in sitcom auditions? Uh, you know, it's I get the gist of your question. I wouldn't necessarily label it a mistake, but what people are doing to sabotage themselves that they don't realize is they are leaving question marks in their performance, whatever else they're doing, and it has to do with the technical training. Because auditioning with a reader and a camera is very, very difficult. And you're either practiced at that or you're not. And there's only two ways to get practiced at it. You either take a class for a long time so you really master the technical skills or you get a lot of auditions and learn on the fly. Yeah. And I think where people really fall down and what I work hard to do here is to train people that even if, even if you can't, even if your interpretation of the material is different than what the writer intended, it, it's far superior to go in with a strong, well thought out choice that you are very confident in delivering in terms of the creative aspect and the technical aspect, then you at least have a chance. If you lack confidence for any reason in any area, 
it's very hard for people to become an advocate of you and move your audition forward through the process. So in summary, people are not going in confident enough about their skills or their choices. Okay, so I'm going to ask you uh, a question, and this is this is what what you just said um, is something that I've heard many many times from from different acting coaches throughout my career, and um, <clears throat> I don't know because I, I book I book a pretty good amount of work, so maybe I maybe I'm doing it and I'm labeling it something differently. Uh, something different than than uh, than than making strong choices, but I I've never quite been able to understand what people mean when they say you have to make a strong choice and stick with it. So I think I understand being confident and being relaxed and not questioning yourself during the audition and not changing course in the audition, but I've never mm-hmm. quite understood how it would look if somebody came in who had made a strong choice or if, whereas if that person, that same person came in and they hadn't. It, that's a fair question. Yeah. It's very nuanced because at the end of the day, we're all human beings before we're actors. Right. Yeah. And it's a vibe. Maybe someone could say it another way, but this is how I'll answer it. When you're a casting director and I've and this is a job that I've had. When you bring in actor, 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 that's literally all you do all day is have another actor come in and another actor go out. If there's just anything in the process, even uh, the entrance or the exit, how you say hello, how you say goodbye, if you apologize, if you in any way, shape, or form seem nervous or unsure or inexperienced, it's uh, it reads. So I, I would say for in terms of your acting choices, just make them specific. But then the rest of the answer to that question is, is if you in any way seem uncertain, it's hard for people to think, wow, I want to move them forward to a callback or move this taped audition forward to producers. Because if you seem at all nervous or ill at ease in a casting room, they can only think that you're going to fall apart on the set. Right. Does that help when I kind of put that filter on it? It does help. It does help. And let me let me uh, tell you something that I heard once that changed the trajectory of my career. Uh, this one sentence that I heard, it was uh, – actually, I interviewed an actor in L.A. Um, <clears throat> his name's Michael Rupnow, and he had just booked this big uh, Corvette commercial that was playing a bunch, and then right on the tail of that, he booked – two episodes on uh, Modern Family. And so I was mm-hmm. like, okay, I want to get this guy on my podcast. So I, I interviewed him. It was right after he booked these things. And I was talking to him about the audition process. And he said that if he questions himself when he's in the room, he knows mm-hmm. that he gave a bad audition. Yep. And I think that that is this, it's kind of the same thing said in a different way. And I t- really took that to heart. And I started practicing that. And I went into, when I went into um, recently, it was a couple months ago, I booked a recurring role on the show Chicago Fire here. Uh And I got these rave reviews from the casting director. She called me on my cell phone. I've never, I've never even talked to her before. She called me on my cell phone as I was walking out. And I booked, so I booked this thing and 
I was trying to think like, what did, what would I, what did I do in that audition that was so good? And I, it, it frustrated me because I couldn't think of what I did. I couldn't even really remember it. Mm-hmm. And then I thought, you know what? That's why it was good because I wasn't paying attention. Yeah. I wasn't questioning. I wasn't thinking about what the producers doing and what the, and that the writer is taking notes and that the casting director is doing something, you know, I was just like in it and I never came out of it for a second. And I thought that's what he was talking about. It is what I was saying said another way. You're exactly right. And it's uh, why, you know, staying in class is really, really so important or whatever it takes to get you as an individual to what you just described. Yeah. The, the, whether you do or don't audition all the time, you need to go through the process like you do it every damn day and it's nothing. And you're just walking in, walking in, knocking it out and heading out. You can't put meat on it. You can't put pressure on it because all of that reads. And even if you're a good actor and a talented actor, if anything in your personal subtext, not the acting subtext, your personal subtext is, I hope that was what you were looking for. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm talking about in terms of question marks. They need certainty on all level, on all fronts. And if you don't offer that, it's hard for them to advocate for you. Right. Wow. You basically answered all the questions that I had. Um, but I also, because I I haven't put a whole lot of thought into auditioning for sitcoms because I've never really had the opportunity to, um, do you have other topics you think we should, we should talk about on this? Um, well, you know, something just came to my mind. This is, uh, you know, often something. Okay, here, let me let's let's uh, let's come at it this way. Some people have a fear response <laughs> to performing comedy. Yeah, <laughs> if probably they, one of if them. They, if they haven't practiced a lot, and it seems almost mysterious. Uh, you know, everybody's fun. Everybody has a sense of humor because that's just a natural, organic human thing. Uh, but in terms of performing it, a lot of people put so much pressure on it. And I, I often alleviate that pressure by saying there's not a different style or kind or method of acting to act scripted comedy than there is to act drama. All good acting means in the simplest definition, you're telling the truth. It is a little more challenging to stay committed to the truth of every word of every line in a comedy script if the circumstances or situation are absurd. But that usually puts people, it starts putting people at ease if they're like, I just am not, I just haven't done a lot of comedy or I'm not sure if I can or I'm not sure I don't really resonate as a funny person. And then the other thing I usually say is the responsibility for the humor is on the writers. If you completely don't understand it or don't get it, then yes, then as an actor, we have to work that out. But primarily, the writers need to write something funny. Right. You just need to tell the truth fast. So <laughs> that's usually how I summarize it. If we can get you to tell the truth and do it like you're on a roller coaster ride, you don't really have to think about being funny. Right. The last the last thing I do when I coach someone, I, I actually don't really even use that word except when I talk about it like I'm talk, talking about it with you. I'll, I'll use all the same tools any dramatic actor would. 
What's your intention there? How are you feeling when I said that? You know, what, tell me what, tell me what you think the character's like and I'll help you sharpen it up. You know, so what I really help people do is get as specific as we can possibly be. It helps as an acting coach that I'm also a writer because I can pretty much advocate for the writer and say, I'm pretty sure that this is what they're asking for. Mm -hmm. So let's just shape it. And then you just have to be able to speak quickly. So quite literally, if you really want to break it down, the thing that'll keep you out of being a comedic actor is if you can't speak crisply and clearly quickly, that will actually fuck you up. And I have some people who are like, I can't get the words out of my mouth. And I'm like, that actually is kind of a problem. (laughs) Yeah, right. Yeah. You have to record clean. You do have to record clean. And the speed produces humor. See, people people discount or just were never taught that there are a lot of other elements that help produce the humor other than just like the literal words of a literal joke. Pacing, timing, holding time, and then hitting the cue and snapping the cue. Just the editing, which the actors don't even have control over at all, can help produce humor when something's edited well. But the editing, when it comes to comedy, goes to the timing, rhythm, and pace. Right. So um, tell the truth. I just said, right. everybody, all I'm going to do is to, just, is to help you tell the truth and speed you up. That's all it's going to be. And people can kind of take a breath with that and go, oh, okay. You know, they almost come in front loaded, not everyone, but people can occasionally come in front loaded, but I've got this method or I'm going to pull back the veil on what comedy really is. And I'm like, it's just, we're all funny. Calm down. (laughs) You just have to to tell the truth and tell it quickly. To find out more about Actors Comedy Studio and to sign up for classes, go to www.actorscomedystudio.com. If you like this podcast, please go to iTunes and give me a rating or review. I'm Lee Foster. Thanks for listening.